Father's Day, everyone. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm lead pastor here. And uh, this morning we're going to take a break from our normal Revelation series. We're actually going to take a break that's going to extend until September. Uh, we're going to spend some time after this uh, hitting a couple different topics, but then uh, we'll be in the Psalms for kind of the heart of the summertime. And then we'll go back to Revelation in the fall. So we will continue. Sorry to disappoint if you were expecting more of Revelation, but you can be reading that and praying through it and preparing yourself to pick that back up in the fall. Uh, today, being Father's Day, I want to talk about fatherhood. Uh, I want to talk about this important topic of the fatherhood of God. Uh, fatherhood is currently a questionable ideal in our culture to some degree. Um, our culture is growing in confusion over the roles of father or mother and and uh, fundamental aspects of life as, such as gender and just even identity, self-identity. So uh, if the trend continues, it would not be surprising to see new terms maybe invented for parents. Uh, and maybe the terms father and mother no longer being considered uh, tolerant terms. That's kind of where our culture is going. Actually, the, the uh, U.S. government has already changed their forms to no longer say in many, many places father and mother, but parent one, parent two. Um, that's kind of where we live. That's what's going on. Um, and our job as God's people is to be God's people, to live by his word. And his word has given us what we need to know what a father is, what a mother is. Um, actually, uh, as Toby said earlier, fatherhood doesn't come from us. It doesn't, it's not our idea. It doesn't exist because it's on a government form somewhere. Fatherhood is rooted in the very nature of God himself. God is a father. Before there were any human fathers, God was a father. He's the eternal father and his relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. So fatherhood comes out of him, and so it's appropriate on Father's Day to, to spend time just looking into the fatherhood of God, that we would understand what fatherhood is, that that has application for all of us, doesn't it? Not just dads, to learn what a father looks like and to be uh, strengthened in that truth by God, but, but for all of us, because God relates to us, God the Father, as a father. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, or uh, used to be called the Paternoster, which means our Father. It's a prayer to our Father. So we'll look there, but let's pray before we read it together. Lord, we, we ask you to... Help us understand who you are today. Help us to understand, Heavenly Father, what you're like. Help us, Lord, to understand it through your word, according to truth. Help us to engage our minds to wrestle through and think through these concepts, these truths. But we pray, Lord, as we do that, by your power, Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, that you would affect our hearts and our whole lives, that we would not just think about truth, but we would encounter truth, the living God through his living word, and, and Lord, would be transformed by you and equipped by you and changed by you. Father, there is no one like you. We, we love you, and, and you're glorious, and so we pray as we talk about your fatherhood, would you show us your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So reading what we call the Lord's Prayer for Matthew chapter 6, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's word from Matthew chapter 6. There are three aspects of the fatherhood of God I want to hit on from this prayer. This prayer is, is about asking God the Father for things and the, the sorts of things we should pray. That's why it was given. It's, uh, Jesus gave it to us to know how to pray. So this part of the scripture isn't so much on the fatherhood of God directly. It's on how to pray. But we pray well when we understand the fatherhood of God. So behind this prayer, behind this is the character, the nature of God as Father. So there's a lot we can learn about God as Father from this section of Scripture. There are three things I want to talk about. And uh, I don't think there are notes for today. That was just so that you just listen on Father's Day, dads and all of us. Just listen and let, let it soak in. If you want to take notes, you're, you're welcome to do that. But three things I want to hit on about God. First, that He is a, the provider. He is a provider. That to be a father and to be the ultimate father is to be the one who provides. Second, the fatherhood of God means he's the overseer of all things. He is in charge. He's responsible for things. He's the overseer. And thirdly, that he's personable. He's a person. He's not a force or an idea. He's not a distant God, a distant deity. He's a real person. Just those three things from this section of Scripture. So first, he's the provider. In this prayer, we're asking God for things. The second half, in particular, we're asking God for things. We say, we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking God for the food we need to, to live, for the basic necessities we need for life. Give us our daily bread. He's the provider of daily bread. He's the provider of forgiveness. We, we need forgiveness. We know in our sinfulness, our fallenness, we need forgiveness. So we're asking him for forgiveness as we live a life of forgiving others, living in that forgiveness. We're asking him not to lead us into temptation, to keep us from being drawn away from him and his ways. We're asking him for help, not to be tempted, not to go into circumstances that draw us away and have our hearts drawn away. So evil within, Lord, protect us from evil within, things in our own hearts that would somehow, through circumstances, lead us away from you and then deliver us from evil, really the evil one, from external evil, the, the devil and his minions. So we're asking God for supply here. He's a God who, who gives, he provides. He's the ultimate father. He's the one who provides as father. He models what it is to be a father. Every family in heaven and on earth is named from him, it says in Ephesians 3.15. And as the Father, He is the provider of all things. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, for Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So everything comes from Him. He's the provider of everything. He is the source of all good things. James teaches us every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. He is the provider. He's the source of everything. He made everything. He is the creator. He's the originator. He's the one who made you. You are here because the Father has created you. In His provision, in His blessing, in His goodness, He's made you. 
And everything around us, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He's this ultimate faithful provider. And He's abundantly generous. He's glorious. The Scripture talks about the whole earth being full of His glory, that, that we're surrounded by His provision. We're surrounded by His blessing. It's all around us. In Romans chapter 1, that, that's the very reason that no one is guilty, no one is guiltless before Him if we reject Him because His goodness is so prevalent, it's so obvious, it's everywhere. Now, in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, the tragedy, the insanity of, of sin, this condition of rebellion that we find ourselves in as humans, is that we don't see that. Our eyes are blinded. We fail to see and recognize His abundant, amazing goodness to us all around us all the time. I love when I encounter things that kind of capture my attention and, and get me thinking. There's things at times where you just, you're, you're struck with something that, of just how amazing it is. An obvious thing. I don't know if you ever had that experience. The, the things we take for granted, all of a sudden you start thinking at a deeper level and you realize, this is incredible. Um, a glass of water. Very ordinary thing. I have a I have a little bit of water left in here. Just a cup of water, a simple cup of water, something that we, we see every day. Do you know in, a, in a, a simple cup of water that there are more water molecules in that little glass of water than all the stars in the sky and all the sand on the seashore together? Just in that glass of water, that's how many water mo molecules are just in that one little glass. Countless. And you're just going to go and drink it right down and not think anything of it. You've just drank an ocean a universe of water molecules into your body. It's glorious. Water itself, just thinking about water itself, is, is an amazing material. It's unlike any other liquid in its properties. It, it floats when it solidifies. Everything else sinks when it solidifies. Water floats when it solidifies. It gets lighter. That changes everything, right? So now you can have fish in the, in the ponds and so forth that, that don't get squished by the water. So it floats. It absorbs all different molecules, so it's the universal solvent. You can clean so many things with water, simple water. You just use water, it washes things up. It, it, has, um, it, it can be recycled again and again, so it absorbs things. You can use water to clean things up, and then it's not hard at all to take the dirt out of water. All you need to do is evaporate it or have it go through the ground, through sand, simple sand, and it's drinkable. That's why if you have... Uh, if you live in a place where you don't have city water, you have a septic tank and a well on the same property, you can drink your water out of your well, even though you've got a septic tank on the same property because the water gets filtered by the sand and the soil. I don't know if you ever knew that, but you may be drinking some of the very water that goes through your sewer system, and it's perfectly fine. Actually, they say that pretty much all the water that we, uh, we use has been used before. Um, but that's okay, because it's this amazing liquid that God made that can be recycled and cleaned. Uh, it has heating and cooling properties. Our whole cooling system for us is based on water. The, the human cooling system is based on water. You, you sweat, and you don't even have to perspire where you can notice it. You're still sweating and cooling yourself. It's this amazing cooling system. It floats in the air. It travels underground. It fills oceans and rivers and lakes. It transports the nutrients throughout our body, and yet it's wonderful to enjoy when you're thirsty and you've got a cold, clean glass of water. It's just great. And it's beautiful, isn't it? When the, it reflects the sky or the sun. 
Now, that's just one little thing. That's just your glass of water that you're, you drank this morning. And we could take time. We don't have time. We could take time just to go through all of creation, everything, and do the same thing over and over and over again. And where does it all come from? Where does all this genius, all this goodness, all this glory come from? It comes from God, the Father. It's who He is. Before there were any ideas like water and all this stuff, there was eternally God the Father. And all this goodness and blessing flows out of His character. That's who He is. And all the things around us that we enjoy, all these blessings, come from Him as Father. And there's just so many things. All the things in creation, food, clothing, the blessings of of the economy, jobs, the art, society, homes, music, family, recreation, sunny days, partly sunny days, families, friends, all the, every good gift, countless good gifts, all come from the Father. My family has a, a house down in Plymouth, Mass. Uh, it's a vacation home. It's a beautiful log home. And it's on a, a small lake or a pond, as they're called down there, not too far from the ocean. And uh, in 1992, my mom and my dad bought the property. It's about five acres. It was just a woods and an old cranberry box when they bought it. And my dad re- had retired, and he became the general contractor for that house. And so he was in charge of building it. He was in charge of the design, the layout of the rooms, the, the place of the, uh, the position of the house on the property, the driveway, all the landscaping, the the furnishing, the floors, really everything. My dad uh, was the contractor for this house. He built this house. And it became a gathering place for my extended family, so it's full of memories. My dad was there all the time taking care of it, maintaining it. And when I'm there, um, now my dad passed in 2011, when I'm there, it feels like my dad's still alive. You expect him to be there. You expect him to to be there in the, the workroom or sitting there in front of the television watching the stock report in the morning. It's a gift from my dad. To live in that house is to live in a blessing from my dad. It reminds me and all of us of my dad. Well, we live in the Heavenly Father's house. All these good things that he does for us, all this glory, everything around us is to remind us that he is our Heavenly Father. He is alive and he's good. And to, to recognize that, that who he is, and, and to come to him. His, his intention is that through his goodness, through his kindness, we would, we would turn away from self and sin and stop the insanity and trust him and follow him. He is a provider. Now, his provision doesn't end there, by the way. All these things I'm talking about, the theologians call common grace. Uh, grace is a gift. Grace is an unmerited gift. It's a gift you give to someone, not because they earn it, because you just want to give it. And common grace means it's a gift from God for everybody. There's no one excluded. That's the nature of the Father. He's gracious. He's kind. He's patient with everybody, the, the wicked and the righteous, those that turn to him and trust in him and by grace seek to follow him, and those that hate him and seek, seek to destroy him. He's gracious to all. He, these gifts, everyone gets to drink water, right? It's not like only those of faith get the glass of water. Everybody gets the glass of water. That's called common grace. But that's not the the end of his grace. There's what's called saving grace, which is even more fantastic. As incredible as water might be, as amazing as water and all creation might be, the, the grace of God in saving grace is infinitely better. For in saving grace, he gives us the most precious 
amazing commodity in all the universe that has ever been and ever will be. He gives us God the Son to rescue. In his fatherhood, before time began, before you were made, before you ever did anything right or wrong, the Father in his fatherhood with the Son and the Holy Spirit determined to be gracious to you. If you are a child of God, you can know for sure that he planned before time to be gracious to you. Not just giving you things like water and nice days, but to give you his son. The son with the father planned that he would rescue you. He, he knew what you would do. He knew what insanity you would engage in. And he determined in his infinite eternal love for you that can never be measured, that he would give you not only all these things that are called common grace, but saving grace. He would give you his son. That Jesus would come and live the life that you failed to live. He would obey the Father. He would love others. He would fulfill all righteousness. And then he would offer up that precious life for you on the cross. He would shed his blood to pay for your sins. All your sins. Past, present, future. He would pay for your sins on the cross. And then rise again victorious over sin and death for your sake. So that through faith in him, which itself is also a gift from the, from the Father, ultimately. Through faith in Christ, you would receive all the blessings in Christ of forgiveness and life. If you're a believer, that's true. We know that. We can look in Scripture. We, you can study the Bible and see that. That is God's plan. He, he determined before time to do these things. I can say that with confidence, because Scripture says it. Now, if you're not a believer, that's not true for you right now. But the Scripture never says, like, you're supposed to know ahead of time. You don't know. What you're called to do if you're not a believer is to believe. So all you need to do is rather than trying to figure out how, did God plan this for me or not? How, you know, am I part of this or not? Don't get lost there. Just simply come to him. That's what he says is, is turn away from self and sin. Turn away from self-sufficiency. Turn, turn away from trying to find your identity and existence in this world, this broken, confusing world, apart from him. Put your faith in him. And faith doesn't mean being a genius where you know all the answers about God. Faith is as simple as this. I trust you. I don't trust myself. That's, that's as simple as it is. I trust you, God. Not myself. I trust that you've provided for me in Christ so that I can be forgiven. I don't understand all the other things. There's so many questions I might have, but I trust you in these things. That's what faith is. It's simple. And if you have not yet put your faith in him, his invitation as an amazing, gracious father is to come and to trust in him, to put your trust in what Christ did for you and receive it. And then having trusted to know that you know, behind it all was God before time planning to be gracious to you. That's who he is. That's the amazing promise of God. He is a provider beyond any other provider. And so there's good news in Scripture about this provision Wonderful news, Romans 8, 28-32, among many different verses to read, that speaks of his incredible provision. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those who called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That promise is for you, brother or sister in Christ. He didn't spare his son, but gave him up for you, and he will take care of everything else. If he gave his son, if if this is who he is, if the nature of the Father is so gracious that he gave the son for you, he's going to take care of all the other things. We needn't worry about the other things. As challenging as they may be, we can be confident in his care for us because he gave his infinitely worthy and glorious son for us. And he's in control. He rules over all things. He wants us to know and live in that place of peace and faith. Joby had a prophetic word about someone fearing in the dark. The Father wants you to live in a place where you trust Him and you're at peace because you know that He's the perfect Father. You put your faith in Him. Romans 8 speaks of this experience where where to call Him by the Spirit, Abba, Father. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians similarly says, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Of course, that would imply means sons and daughters. And Abba is, is a personal word for Father. It was what the, the Jews would have used, actually, as their standard title for dad. It's like our dad. And so we're meant to know our Heavenly Father as a dad. As our dad as our faithful dad, as our dad who provides for us in all these glorious ways, and as our dad who has provided for us in Jesus, his son. And the Spirit of God works in our hearts so that we say, as he gives us this strength and this ability, this understanding, in light of these truths, we say, Abba, Father, you're my Father. And I belong to you, and I'm safe in your arms. He is the perfect provider. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to to ask the Lord to give you power by the Holy Spirit to know Him as Father. To know that He's your Abba Father. To live in that place where you are at peace, under His care, under His provision. Not living as an orphan, but trusting in Him and experiencing peace and hope for the future, knowing if He sent His Son, He's going to take care of all these other things. Whatever might trouble you, whatever might tempt you, whatever need you might have. He's already done everything to assure you he'll take care of you by giving you his son. So ask the Spirit of God to give you power to know that peace, to know that assurance that he's your Abba Father, your provider. He's also an overseer. In the Lord's Prayer, it starts out, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is for God to so superintend things, to bring his kingdom to bear, to bring his will to bear. It's for him to oversee things in in the proper way that that he would be hallowed certainly in all these things because he's worthy, that he'd be worshipped. But his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's a God who rules and reigns. He's over things, so we can pray to him to rule and reign in such a way to preside, not only provide, but preside over creation. 
He is the one who presides over creation. He is in charge of creation. He rules over all things, all circumstances. He takes care of everything. Psalm 145, 13 to 16 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God presides over everything and provides as well. Romans 11 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The Father presides over all things. He rules over all things. He's in control of all things. So as a father, he's in charge. That's one important aspect of his fatherhood. He's in charge. He rules. He takes care of things. He's in charge of things. We, we use the term providence to, to describe this, that he is in control in such a way to work out his will. Now that's good news for us because if you are a believer, he's your father. Now he's in a sense father of, of all humanity, but, but he's not the father of all humanity unless we come to him through faith. Father in terms of the promises and being part of the family of God. That's through faith in Christ alone. And we, if we are believers, if we've simply run away from self-sufficiency and sin and turn towards Him, turn towards His provision in Christ, then we are His children and His providence is good news for us. He's in charge of everything for our good. Paul says something curious in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is verse 21. He says to the Corinthians, all things are yours. Isn't that interesting? Why would he say that? Now he said this to a congregation that, by the way, was kind of uh, off the rails. And they were, they were doing things they shouldn't do. And, and why would you tell someone who's kind of off the rails, who, who just was living these, this excessive lifestyle, hey, all things are yours. I mean, isn't that going to encourage them just to go crazier? Well, he said it because it was true. And he goes on to say that you know, God works in your life for your good and he calls people to this new life in Christ, so he, he helps them that way. But he wants them to know that it's true for the believer. All things are yours. How could that be true? How could it be true that all things are ours? I mean, are they actually? Do you, do you own Bill Gates' fortune? Can you go up to him and can you withdraw checks out of his account? No. If anyone thinks so, we need to help you understand that's not true. Don't do that. Um, it's not technically officially yours. So how could it be that all things are yours? Who owns Bill Gates' money and his life, ultimately? The Father. And he determines everything. He's in control of all circumstances. He's in control, even though Bill Gates is, is using his own mind to make his own decisions, God is over it. He's in control of that. And he rules and superintends all things for his purposes. And if you are part of the family, he's using all things for your good. So all things are yours. The promise in Scripture is he uses all things for good. He's in control of all things. Now, whether it's Bill Gates' money or it's the person in your neighborhood who's harassing you, maybe. He's in charge of that, too. 
He uses all things for our good. His rule and reign, his overseeing of things is for our good. That includes the things that, are, that we enjoy. And we're like, yeah, I'm so glad he's in control of the food I'm going to eat this afternoon. He's giving me food. He's going to care for me. I like that. But he's also in control of the trials which I might face or you might face. To use them for good. That's part of his providence. Uh, Garrett Burkhauer, the theologian, says about his providence, he says this, God's providence is not only a matter of divine invincibility. I think we have this to the Dutch. Do we have it, Dan? God's providence is not only a matter of divine invincibility and power, but of the invincibility and power of his love. This is the comfort that we stand at the disposal of a merciful Heavenly Father to whom we can with confidence abandon ourselves. He makes an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. That's the providence of God. This is who our God is. He works in our lives. He uses all things for our good. He superintends all things. He's the ruler, the ultimate ruler. Even the Son and the Spirit actually submit to Him as the ruler. Um, though they are fully God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all fully God. The Son submits to the, the Father and the Spirit as well. 1 Corinthians 15.28 talks about how the Son is ruling and reigning. The Son is reigning through the good news of the Gospel and His church. And at the end, He's going to turn that all to the Father. It says in 1 Corinthians 15:28. when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So God, so the Son is ruling to put it under the Father's reign. To let the Father be the one who is in charge of all. This is our, and this is our Father. He's for us. Finally, he is personal. So he is the provider, he's the overseer, he's personal. In the Lord's Prayer, we address Him personally. We say, Our Father. Now, Jesus, in speaking to His disciples, would have said, Our Abba. He would have not said Our. He would have used the Aramaic word for Our. But He, he used the word Abba. Father's a little more formal for us, isn't it? Right? Like when, you're, when you say to your dad, Father, he knows, like, I don't know, you're going to propose something really important. Like, Father, I'm, I'm moving to Siberia or something like that. There's some big news, you know. Uh, you don't say dad, right? It sounds formal to us. And, and the word is closer to dad. Abba is closer to dad. Now, they, that was the main word for addressing fathers. But he's called our father. So in hearing that and when you pray that, I want you to hear not just our father, the formal sense. And certainly, God deserves all of our reverence and, and praise. But it's appropriate to say our dad, our Abba, to hear that. We address him personally. God is not a distant deity. He's not a God who did all this stuff, kind of wound up the clock of the universe and just kind of went for a long, you know, cosmic nap somewhere. No, he's involved in all things. He's, he's intricately involved in all things. He's personal. In Scripture, you never see him dealing impersonally. He's relational. I mean, it's, it's, it's who he is. It's his nature. We, we worship a triune God. Not a, a, a singular God. He's one in essence, but he's three in persons. 
He's always been that way. That's profoundly important. If you believed in a singular God, it would change how you would understand Him. He's relational. He's always been relational. It's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Relational. And, and then He makes mankind, and He calls mankind to know Him relationally. So He pursues us throughout Scripture. He pursues a rebellious mankind to have a relationship with us. He's personal. He's intensely personal. He's infinitely glorious, but He's intensely personal. And through Christ, we are called into this union with God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is intimate beyond understanding. We talked, I think it was last week, right? About how marriage points towards the union we have with Christ and then with the Trinity. The most intimate relationship that you can have with humans within marriage is merely a foreshadowing of ultimate intimacy with God. That's what Ephesians 5 teaches us, that marriage is a picture meant to, to not be an end in itself, but to direct us towards the ultimate fulfillment of it, of this incredible eternal relationship of the Trinity that we enter into now in Christ. So he's personal. He's, he wants to know you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to depend on him. He wants you to study him and, and read through scripture and get to know him through the word. He wants you to have the sort of relationship with him that Christ has with him. It's amazing. In John 17, Jesus prays to his father and says some incredibly profound things. It says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, and again, he would have said Abba there, Abba, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus related to his father in this intimate way. Everything he did in his ministry was under the direction of his father. He only did what he saw his father doing. He had this amazing walk with God the Father. And that started from eternity past. Really never had a starting point. It always was. And now we are called into the same relationship. Into this personal relationship with God as our father. As intimate as Christ is with him. It, it's incredible to just to comprehend. And we've been invited into this eternal fellowship of the Trinity. We've been adopted into this family with all of its privileges, all of its blessings. There's a royal Italian family called the House of Doria Pamphili Landi. I think we have a picture of, of this to put up there. They have a, this vast estate. It's worth billions. Uh, it includes a thousand-room Palazzo Pamphili in Rome, uh, the Palazzo dei Principi in Genoa. Um, they own 650 works of art, including paintings by uh, Titian, Caravaggio, and Rubens. Uh, you may have heard of the many ships, actually. One of the many ships called the Andrea Doria. Ever heard of that? That's named after this family. One of the, actually, one of the family was an admiral, and the ships are named after that man. In um, 1958, the last, line, last of the line, Princess Orietta Doria Pamphili Landi, married a British man, a Royal Navy commander, Frank George Wignall Pogson, in, in London. So the, the last of this wealthy, prestigious Italian family married this British man, and they adopted two children. 
apparently they weren't able to have their own biological children. They adopted two children from a British orphanage. Those children, their names originally were simply Mary and Archibald. Good British names. They didn't even have last names. They didn't have a surname. They didn't have a family that they knew of. Simply Mary and Archibald. They were adopted by this amazing royal family. And today, they've been brought out of poverty and obscurity into this noble family. Fifty years later, they are the heirs of the Doria family. So you see a picture there of uh, Lucene Margaret Orietta Mary Paulson Doria Pamphili and her younger brother Jonathan Doria Pamphili. They are royal heirs to all the wealth, the billions of dollars, and all the prestige and beauty uh, in the estates of this historic Italian family. It sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? It's true. It's a true story. It's a, it's a wonderful story. But there's a truer and better story that's your apostle if you belong to Christ, if you put your faith in him. You've been adopted into the most prestigious, wealthy, amazing, eternal family there is. You have God as your father. You're welcomed into the Trinity. You are cleansed and accepted for Christ's behalf. He is the legitimate heir himself, but in his amazing grace, he's given himself in cooperation with the Father and the Holy Spirit that, that we might be forgiven, that we might be adopted, that we might cry out with him, Abba, Father. The Father wants to know us personally. As the band comes up and we transition into singing and communion, I just want to invite you to know the Father as he is. To know your Heavenly Father. To put your faith in him if you've not yet put your faith in him. If you have, to grow in your knowledge of him as Father. To live in the wonderful forgiveness and provision in his infinite love and in his sovereign reign for your sake and in this relationship that you have in him that will never, ever end. Father, sometimes um, I just can't grasp who you are and I think that you're different than who you are in Scripture. I think maybe you're not so extravagantly gracious. Maybe you're not really in charge of everything. Maybe you really don't care about me or about others. Lord, I, I struggle with this, and I imagine we all do at times, and, and Lord, we just want to confess that it's a lie. It's untrue. Your word is clear in who you are and what we have in Christ. And so we ask you for help, O oh God. We ask you for help, Spirit of God. Would you help us to understand our adoption, to understand who you are, Heavenly Father, in your provision, your grace, in your sovereignty, in your personalness. And would you, as we continue to worship, would you grant us that ability, Holy Spirit, to say from our hearts, Abba, Father, to the glory of God, we pray.